The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello and welcome. This is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And uh, my guest today is Talea uh, Dendi. She is a 11-year cancer survivor and a cancer doula. And she's going to talk to us about the work she does and how she got involved with it. And uh, Talea, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Sean, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you again for bearing with me through the technical <laughs> nonsense, but, uh, okay. but yeah. we, don't, we don't, yeah, it does. We all need to dwell on it. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's, let's start again from the very, let's start again from the very top here. Um, I like to know backstories. I mean, I read about people, but I like to hear from um, the people I talk to themselves and so with the listeners. And so, yeah, just uh, what got you on this journey? What brought us to this point? Yes, happy to share that. So Sean, 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma out of the blue. And I had never been sick before other than the flu. And so um, I had noticed a lump on my neck a year prior to being diagnosed. And um, other than the lump, I was feeling fine. And so I went to my primary care doctor for my annual physical exam. And after the exam, I pointed that lump out and I said, you know, I'm a little concerned. This lump has been, you know, on the side of my neck. It was the left side for about maybe about two to three weeks. And um, she didn't look at it. She just asked me a few questions. And the first question was, are you still working out regularly like you, you have been? And I said, yes. And she said, it's, oh, don't worry about it. It's probably just a pulled muscle. And that was that. So fast forward to a year later and I, the lump was still there and it was bigger and hard at this point. And so I told my mom about it. I told her I was concerned about it. So she referred me to her primary care doctor And so I went in for my physical exam, once again, different doctor a year later. And again, after my physical, I pointed out that I had this lump, but it had been there for about a year. And that doctor looked at it, touched it, asked all these questions. And while she's talking with me and she's touching it, I can kind of just tell that something changed in her face. And I had a feeling something was wrong, but I didn't think it was cancer, to be honest with you. And we'll get to why I waited a year, um, because that's an important part of my story as well. And so she told me, she said, Talia, right away, I want you to go in and have an ultrasound and um, let's figure out what this is. So a couple of days later, I went in for an ultrasound. That ultrasound came back inconclusive. They weren't sure what it was. Mm-hmm. I think the technologist, um, or I, I'm not sure, the radiologist, uh, the technician, I'm sorry, knew that something was wrong. And um, I could tell by her face also that she had some kind of idea, but she couldn't say, of course. So she said, the radiologist is going to take a look at this and we'll get back to you. A couple of days later, I got another call. Um, we would like to do a fine needle aspiration. So go in for a fine needle aspiration. That is where they take a, they insert a very small needle and into that area and they take some of the cells and tissue sample. Well, a couple of days later, that came back inconclusive. The sample size was not large enough. Okay. So finally, I have to go in under anesthesia and have a biopsy. So they took a large piece of that lymph node and of course did testing. A few days later, on my way home, on a Friday evening, I get the call from a nurse. We got your results back 
and it's been determined that you have cancer, a form of cancer called Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the life went out of me right then and there. And so, of course, I had all these questions for her. And uh, she said, honey, I know you're scared. I know you're worried. I can't answer any of those questions. But what I can tell you is that my husband had Hodgkin's lymphoma years ago, and he's doing fine today. And she said, what we need to do is get you scheduled um, to go in and see an oncologist. So after I talked with her, I, you know, stopped at a TJ Maxx because I was just a bundle of nerves, of nerves, of course. So many thoughts were going through my mind and I just needed to regroup. So pulled over, walked through TJ Maxx for about 30 minutes, just trying to really grasp what I had been told and uh, walked around for 30 minutes, got myself together, drove home and called my family and let them know. And of course they had questions that I couldn't answer. I didn't have any answers for them, but I asked them, I said, you know, I just need to take this weekend to think about what all this is and really work through what I'm feeling. And so that weekend I went through a whole range of emotions. I cried, I prayed, I was angry. I mean, just so many different things. And I'm grateful I had done that because that following Monday that allowed me to just get on the phone and get things rolling and do what I needed to do. Wow. So, and how old were you when this all happened? I was about 35 then. Mm-hmm. 35 years old. Okay, so 35 years old. Up until that point, you you knew you were otherwise pretty healthy, other than this mysterious lump that you had on your neck for a year um, that you were told not to think anything of it. And by the way, a pulled muscle, give me a break. Um, I never heard of a pulled muscle resulting in a lump on somebody's neck. Uh, but either way, so 35 years old, and now you have a cancer diagnosis after a lifetime of good health. So what is that? I mean, you already kind of took us through that, but what does that really do to you psychologically? I mean, I mean, we all can kind of, those of us who have never had cancer and never really known anyone that's had cancer, we can kind of imagine what goes through someone's mind when you get that sort of news. But, you know, what does that really do to you psychologically? Does that make you just kind of, is it kind of like an out-of-body experience almost? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to explain it. Um, I've, I've tried to put words to it and that's the best that I come up with. It's like you step outside of yourself and you're just watching all this go on. One thing that I do want to circle back to was there was a lot of anger and guilt on my part because I felt in a sense dismissed with the first doctor, like she could have cared less, but then also guilt on my part for not taking it further at that time. And there were a number of reasons why I did not. Um, Again, I knew something was wrong, but, you know, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to help my family with different things they were going through at that time. um, There really is no excuse now that I look back. You have to, you know, put yourself first. And that was not something that I was good at. Um, I was always the one that everybody called for everything. So the caretaker in a sense, and that um, also I'll say this, and I know a lot of women particularly feel this way is sometimes self-worth is wrapped up in that as well. And so it, it impacts every area of your life, uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, your relationships, everything. So when I got that diagnosis, it took, I would say, a good, wow, you know, when it really sunk in, the first time I started chemotherapy, that's when it really sunk in that I actually had cancer, and this was real, and this was going to happen. And so the first time I went in for my chemo treatment, the the wonderful oncology nurse was getting me all prepared, checking my port, you know, 
the first time, it's a long experience because they just want to make sure you don't have any adverse reactions and things like that. So prior to her inserting the um, IV into my port to start the chemotherapy, I actually shed a tear because I'm like, wow, this is going to change me forever. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know who I would be on the other side of all of this and if I would even get to the other side of it. And so those were a lot of the things that I experienced. The unknown is very overwhelming. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I started the work that I'm doing today is because it really would have helped to have someone who had been through something similar who could walk with me and say, you know, Talia, when you start chemotherapy for the first time, expect to be there for a long time. You know, they're going to do all these different things to make sure that you don't have a reaction. And the next time you go, it gets a little bit easier. And the next time you go, it gets a little bit easier. You know, just knowing what to expect when I go into radiation. Um, so really just having someone to talk to, that was a huge factor that was missing, that emotional support. Right. So the, uh, the doula, the doula role didn't really exist for you. Mm -hmm. And... So there was really no one that you had for like kind of true emotional support uh, throughout the process. I mean, I know your family was there, but um, they, didn't, they didn't really fulfill that role for you. Here's one thing about that. My family was there 110 percent, the best that they could. But when someone has not experienced it, it's different. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that they're not going to understand that, that you're sharing with them because they have not experienced it. The location, the hospital where I had my treatment, they had social workers, a couple social workers. And the gentleman that I spoke with a couple times, he was an older white guy. I would say he, gosh, he had to be like in his 60s at that time. And it was very helpful to talk with him on a surface level, but there was not a connection where I felt like I could you know, talk deeper with him and he would really get where I was coming from. And so by that part being missing, I learned other ways to self-soothe and help myself. And that was learning about, about mind-body connection, meditation, journaling, doing all of those things to support myself. Gotcha. Gotcha. So to kind of dovetail off, off of what you just said, so, you know, the social worker there, you know, he's, he's helpful, he's supportive, um, but just because of, you know, things being what they are and reality being what it is, it wasn't very much, it was only so far he could really go. Yes. So um, just because of, you know, people, people are different. And so what you, what you do with your current role now as the doula is that you are trying to, um, do what this gentleman couldn't do for you, for people who are in the same situation that you were in. Is that correct? That is correct. And so um, I also do an, a couple of other things. What I do as a cancer doula, and let me explain for the folks who don't know what that is. Um, we've all heard of birth doulas, of course. There are now death doulas. So birth doulas, beginning of life, death doulas, the end of life. As a cancer doula, I walk with my clients and I support them through a major life change and significant health-related experience. As a cancer doula, again, we're focused on the present and that is getting on the other side of cancer and working through the challenges that come along with it, challenges that many people are not aware of. Um, and, you know, we're, we've seen these commercials where they typically show people their they're bald, they're frail, they're pushing an IV stand down the hall with a gown on. And that's not the case for most cancer patients. Um, and so there's this one view of cancer patients. So what I do as a cancer doula is there's four key areas that I cover in addition to some other things that um, my client may need. It's based on their individual needs. 
but some key areas that I touch on are understanding treatment options. I don't tell them what their, you know, um, what their options are. We take what the doctor has shared with them and break that down, educate them so that they can make the best informed decision for themselves. The other piece is nutrition and how can you best take care of yourself and eat when you, when you can the most nutritious way that will support your immune system. The other piece, of course, as I mentioned, is emotional support. And then also communication. A lot of people don't know how to talk about cancer. So that communication could be with your family, of course, your employer, your friends. And I help them to create scripts so that they can be in control of those conversations and not feel so awkward or fearful of what someone will say. A lot of times in these situations, um, people, again, don't know what to say, and they say weird, awkward things that can make the person with cancer very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I give the clients that I work with different strategies to work through that and hopefully um, lead the conversation in a direction that they would like to go. What do people typically say to a cancer patient that just come comes off wrong, or do they? You know, is it, it, it's I'm assuming it's perfectly like innocuous kind of stuff here. They don't mean to really, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> sound uh, weird or anything. But yeah. so just so people know what it, just so people know like what are some things that you probably shouldn't say to someone who's fighting cancer. Oh, you look good for someone who has cancer. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful <laughs> exactly so it's, it's those kinds of things the other one that um I even experienced was oh you don't look sick that's the other one well you don't know what I'm feeling so <laughs> uh-huh. um that that's another one another one is um you know it can't be that bad why aren't you working that's another one really um yeah <laughs> And then also for people who have actually completed treatment, many people have experienced this from, you know, uh, coworkers, family, loved ones. Well, why don't you, it's time to get over it and move on. Aren't you feeling better? I mean, your treatment's over. And a lot of people have that expectation where, you know, once treatment stops, you're just going to hop back into life the way it was and be who you were prior to that and that's not reality. There is a healing process even after treatment. Yeah, it was actually, that was something I was going to ask you about too. So I noticed that you said that in your website, um, that treatment, the recovery process is long. It's, just, it's not just gone because now your cancer is in remission or maybe it's gone. Maybe the cancer itself is gone. Um, but you know, you get this clean bill of health, so to speak, and then off back to your merrily way of doing whatever it was prior to your diagnosis and your treatment. So tell us more about why it's just not over when the doctor says, okay, you're good, go home. Yeah, I'll start off by saying that it's very frustrating for people when they've completed treatment and everyone's gone. You're basically let go by the healthcare system. Okay, you're done with treatment. You don't need any more tests or scans. We'll see you in three months. So that's one area. The second area is for people who have had the support of family and friends, of course, they mean well, but they're like, okay, this person got through that tough time, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, just get on with your life. Um, And it's not an overnight thing. It's not an immediate thing because you have to realize, as I mentioned earlier, it impacts every area of your life. You're left to pick up the pieces and number one, really grasp what you've just been through. Number two, what you want to do next. Number three, the healing process. A lot of people are so focused on surviving cancer that once they're done with treatment, that's when the emotional and mental piece starts to kick in. They start to think and realize what they've been through. And so that can take a toll on a person. Many people are not able to maybe function at the level that they did prior to starting treatment because treatment, you know, changes your mind and your body. It can give you brain fog where you forget things in the middle of a conversation. Many people are very fatigued. Um, You know, whatever treatment they have had may have impacted 
their lungs or, or whatever that can cause a lot of other problems. And so it's a process. And I always tell people it, it comes in stages. There's levels to it. Okay, you get that diagnosis. You have to try to work through that the best you can. You start treatment. You have to try to work through that the best that you can. And then once you finish treatment, you have to try to work through that the best you can. And that looks different for everybody. For some people, they may feel like them, their old selves in a year after finishing treatment. For some people, two years. For some people, three. And so it's very individualized. It's very personal for each individual. Each person is different. And there is that period where you have to continue to give that person grace for however long they need it. So what what was life for you after after you got the the remission? Um, the notice, notice that your cancer is in remission. It's not growing anymore. It seems like it's going in the direction that we want to. We're trending in the right direction. So you don't have to see as quite as often as you need to. Uh, we'll we'll see in a few months now. So what was it for you now? Just kind of be let go. It was tough because you had that safety net in a sense. Um, I was very close with my oncologist and it was just like, wow, I'm not going to have anyone closely monitoring me anymore. Um, I knew that I could call and pick up the phone if, if something took a turn, but it was just different. Um, going in and getting thoroughly examined, making sure that, you know, the cancer was not back. Um, so it was that piece. And really, again, just that urgency that other people have for you to just jump back into it. Uh, for me, all throughout my cancer treatment, um, I my oncologist wanted me to be on disability for six months. And so I, was, I wasn't working for six months. But that whole time, even though they were given my employer, even though they were given all the documentation, I would get weekly emails from my manager. Well, are you coming back? When are you coming back? So it's that fear of losing your job and then ultimately your health care. You know, um, I didn't go back to work right away after my treatment. Um, I think I, because I had radiation. So I think I went back part-time a month after my radiation. When I went back part-time, well, when are you coming back full-time? And so again, it was just I, that feeling of like, you just care more about me being in this seat, doing the work, you know? And it's like, hey, I'm a human being. It's, I'm not a machine. And so that really added to my frustration. And it really started to open my eyes about, hey, this is not serving me. I need to figure something else out. And um, I eventually ended up changing jobs and I was in supply chain when, you know, I graduated from college and got into the corporate world, been in supply chain the whole time. And even before the cancer diagnosis, it just wasn't fulfilling anymore. The pay was great. But um, so I started really examining a lot of things, you know, even throughout my cancer treatment and my employment was one of them. My career path was one of them. And so that is what really led me to where I'm at today. So had the uh, the role of a cancer doula, did that exist prior to you stepping into it? Or was that, or was that something that you came up on your own? So prior to, I had heard about a cancer coach here or there, not mm. doing my treatment, but when I started thinking about what I wanted to do, um, there was nothing like this that I was aware of when I was going through my treatment. Now, when I started researching, hey, I want to take what I've been through and help people, I saw cancer coaches. And I even was calling myself a cancer coach in the beginning. But there was coaches everywhere, a coach for everything. And I just felt like that word was over overutilized and lost its true meaning. So that's when I started... Uh, looking into the word doula, I, of course, had known of birth doulas. Mm -hmm. And I really analyzed that word. And again, the key things that stood out was 
supporting another person through a major life change and significant health-related experience that was cancer to me. And so um, I try to be what I wish I had throughout my cancer treatment. I try gotcha. to be that for other people. Gotcha. Yeah, honestly, I mean, like I, like I told you earlier, I, the whole doula role, I only heard about that in passing, you know, here and there, maybe on social media, like birth doula. That's mo that's mostly where that's mostly uh what amounts to my familiarity of it. I never heard of a cancer coach, honestly. That was the first I ever heard of that. And uh, you know, working in healthcare myself, uh, and I've been in regular contact with uh cancer patients. Um, I don't know if I've ever even come across one, so to speak. I mean, I don't spend all day with them, but um, so the idea that such a, such a role even exists is interesting to me because I didn't even know that was even a thing. It makes a lot of sense, but I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, Sean, you're not alone. A lot of people are like, well, what is that? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. And the thing I get all the time, um, from people that have been impacted by cancer in some way is I wish I had known when myself, you know, when I was going through treatment or my loved one was. And it's not something that, um, you know, now healthcare treatment centers and hospitals have patient advocates and things like that. The thing about that is they're helpful, but they can only do so much in that, you know, eight or nine hour day, whatever it is that they're scheduled. Sometimes people need support on the weekend. Sometimes people need support outside of business hours. And then also, People in those roles, they're not able to, and no disrespect to them in any way, this is feedback that I've gotten, is that um, that more personalized connection. Yeah, it's nice to talk to someone for like 20 minutes, but sometimes you may need a deeper dive. You may need to talk to someone for an hour. You may need to talk to someone in multiple instances. So it's just, um, it's just having that personalization that many people are seeking and really more support, more hand-holding, if you wanna say that, um, more walking with someone from a perspective of, hey, I know what it's like. And um, I, I just wish it would've been there when I was going through it. I just wish that hospitals and uh, cancer treatment centers would embrace it more. Um, they are becoming more aware and participating more in alternative and holistic care, but there still is a long way to go um, because people need different things. Mm -hmm. It is still so rigid in a sense, but in healthcare, people need personalized care, personalized support. Right, exactly. I've kind of I've had similar conversations with this with other guests because. One of the kind of recurring themes I've heard from people who work, you know, within healthcare itself is that there is a lack of holistic uh, perspective um, when it comes to dealing with much of anything. You know, so there is the, you know, the acute care, which is why you go to an emergency room or things like that. But there's also, you know, the other things that are kind of on the peripheral, on the peripheral side of uh, healthcare that doesn't really get the attention that um, you would think it would, like nutrition or like mental health counseling. So like mental health counseling, I know is something that's come, it's come under, under attack. It's very underappreciated, underfunded. Um, so that's a whole nother uh, show. We could do that. Yeah, but, we could talk about uh, that all day. Yeah, we, yeah, we could talk about that um, from here until eternity. But um, but yeah, there is this, and it's, and it's changing ever so much. I mean, there is, kind of a, a slow movement in that direction where healthcare is becoming less transactional, less rigid, and is really more kind of saying, okay, well, it's actually, because people need all kinds of things and need all kinds of services. So if we actually uh, work alongside those other services, rather than just kind of like, um, almost like stick planting our flag one place or another and kind of saying, this is my area, this is your area, um, is actually better for the patient. You're right, Sean. And one of the most frustrating things when I started this was when I went to the hospital where I was treated and I tried to say, well, hey, this is what I do now. How can we work together? My oncologist on board, 
Um, he even, you know, had written a recommendation for me, everything. But the the organization as itself was not so on board or welcoming. And it wasn't just at the treatment center where I went. It was every hospital and clinic that I visited. Hey, we can't take your information. We have a certain way of doing things. Okay, that's fine. Um, and even now, I went on to become a certified patient advocate. That is tough as well. It's like the health care system, it just needs to be less rigid. And like you said, work alongside with people who offer different services because it's only going to help the patient. And that's the end goal in my mind is making sure the patient gets what they need and targeting that care specifically to them. It's going to look different for everybody. And, you know, if you're used to doing this for every cancer patient, that patient could be missing out on so many other things. You know, Sean, um, since, you know, my cancer experience, I interview people too. I have a podcast. You would not believe all the things that I've learned that I was like, wow, I wish I would have known about that. I wish the same things that people say to me, I'm saying to you know, these holistic and alternative care practitioners as well. I wish I would have known about a naturopath. I wish I would have known about a holistic coach. I mean, none of that was mentioned. I'm not sure if it was, I'm sure it was around then, but it just, nobody talked about it. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, you mentioned nutritionists. Yeah. I, I have to share that. No, go for it, go for it. So um, I was actually recommended to see a dietitian, as I think is what they called it, where I was being treated. And it was like, she gave me this sheet of paper and it was about things I already knew. Okay, you need to eat protein, blah, blah, blah. Yep, I know. I know about that, that little chart thing and the plate and all of that. Yeah. What else? What else? What do I do when I just simply cannot eat, but I need to have something in my system so that I don't get weak. So that targeted personalization around nutrition even wasn't there. One thing else I wanted to touch on too, because this was um, a big part of the story. Um, and I've heard this again in different forms um, as I've been doing this podcast is that this being kind of dismissed early on or just kind of like written off right away um, now I, last thing I want is to, this podcast to sound like an anti-establishment podcast. It's not what I'm going for here. I'm not, I'm not trying to bad mouth the healthcare profession. I work within it myself. I'm not bad mouthing doctors, but, and I've made videos about this separately. It's about, this is, this is becoming a thing. I've heard from too many people here. It's like, you know, the healthcare system, the doctor just kind of, they express a concern and the doctor just says, eh, don't worry about it. You still working out? Yeah. Okay, when well, you're fine. Uh, yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, um, so is that common too with people, clients that you've worked with? Have you heard that story a lot of times too? Like my um, primary physician just didn't really seem to care very much when I first told them about this. Yeah, yes, I have. I've, I've heard that from so many people, Sean. And it's really sad because... A lot of people are having, and I just want to go back and say there are a lot of good doctors out there. Yes. My oncologist, wonderful. The doctor that took things further, amazing. I probably wouldn't be here had I not saw, seen her. So like you said, this is not an attack, but we must bring these things to the surface and continue to do so until it's no longer being done. So that's, uh, for me, the point of talking about this. Um, I hear it all the time and I hear it from, you know, there's a lot about DEI and, and, and all of those things right now. That's, that's the popular thing now. What's, well, the, that, what's, what's DEI? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I have assumed I, everyone. No, 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 that's okay. I just, <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to figure, for a second there, I was trying to figure out in my head, but I couldn't really come up with it. So I figured, okay, let's, let's just ask. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking, because there may be other people who are like, 
asking the same thing. So thank you. Um, and so diversity, equity, inclusion, that's a big thing now. And they're talking about that in healthcare. They're talking about that in the corporate world. You name it, they're talking about it now. And uh, still a lot of people are talking and there's not a lot of action to correct things. And I'm saying this because a lot of times it's minority people who are saying, hey, I felt dismissed. Like the doctor could care less if I lived or died. Or I shared this with a doctor and they felt like I, they, they looked at me like I was crazy. They made me feel like I was crazy. And when I got into the role that I'm in now, I hear that from everybody, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, men, women. And um, it's a common thing. A lot of people feel dismissed. They feel disrespected. They feel like they are looked at as a joke. And I tell the people that I support, it is your right to keep asking questions, see a different provider until you get the answers that you need. And then also alongside traditional Western medicine, maybe go see a naturopath too. Talk with a holistic coach because maybe there's something that that doctor is not trained on. And sometimes the ego gets involved and that doctor may not want to say, hey, go see this holistic person, you know, um, or they may not be aware. A lot of doctors are not even educated on that in medical school. Mm -hmm. The sad thing about it is that's where it all started was with herbs, you right. know, was connecting and getting healing from the earth. That's how it started. But we're so far from it now because, you know, a lot of the synthetic medicine and pharma and all of those things are, you know, kind of seen as the, the king, really, when there's mm -hmm. so many other different ways. I think a lot of it too, and again, just to make it clear that I, I'm not against uh, modern medical um, medical science, I think a lot of it too is just kind of the natural outcome of the beast that working with them because, because it's, you know, such a bureaucratic, you know, a hierarchy, a, a hierarchical system that, you know, they have, and they see so many people, you know, in the course of the day. Um, and it's just when you work within these major hospitals, these major kind of healthcare corporations here, you only have but so much time to devote to one person. Um, whereas, you know, my kids had a country doctor a couple of years ago. She left town, but uh, she was, you know, she was small enough that she could spend more personalized time with you. You know, and she had a little practice that she ran uh, with her partner. And, you know, you could... You, you, you could text message her and she would text you. She would send in a script through a text message or something like that. She'd be out roller skating or something like that. And she would answer a text. You know, you just can't get that kind of thing when you're working, when you're working within a, a major healthcare system. That's a great example, Sean. And I hear that so often too, that people, like I said earlier, they, they want to have access to someone outside of that standard, those business hours, because life is still happening. People are still getting sick. You know, everyone doesn't want to go into the emergency room and wait six, seven, eight hours to be seen. They may not have that much time. And so I think it's just very important to make people aware of what else is out there. Maybe there's a holistic doctor that can kind of look at it from whatever it is that you're experiencing from a different approach. And if that doctor in, in the hospital is willing to connect and share information, cross-reference, they can work together possibly to really figure out what's going on with this person, heal them the best way, and hopefully prevent any future side effects. So it, it goes back to, like you said, working together. So how does a client uh, come across your information? How did they um, come in contact with you? Is, is it something that's kind of information that's uh, fed to them through their healthcare provider, like their oncologist or something like that? Or how does that really happen? Honestly, Sean, it's word of mouth. 
Okay. Um, that's how most people find me. And again, I'm not connected with any hospitals or clinics. I'm an independent patient advocate as well as a cancer doula. So, you know, I'm certified patient advocate, but I, I'm not connected with any hospitals or clinics. It's it, for me, that's the way that I wanted it, but it's tough because people can go to the hospital or clinic and work with this patient navigator for free. Whereas my services, you know, there is a fee attached to them and it's not covered by insurance. So that's the barrier that's there right now. Right. Well, I suppose if it, if it were covered by insurance, then, then they would probably dictate to you what you could and could not do with their patients. Right. So I guess, you know, as limiting as it is, I guess in some ways it's kind of also liberty. That's so true. And again, Sean, it goes back to, I'm trying to provide people with the things that I wish I had. And one of the reasons why I started this also, another reason is because if I needed those things and I'm a first time healthcare consumer on a major level, and I'm having to learn all these things. There are other people out there feeling that way too and needing those things. And then the other piece of it is I left corporate America for a reason um, because you said it, there's a certain way that I feel like people should be treated. And um, there's a level of respect there that people deserve, especially when they're sick. And um, I wanna do my things my way, you know, and I may not be for everyone, that's fine. But I do welcome the, the conversation. And so I offer a 30-minute free call. And that is where people can reach me. And they can talk about whatever it is that they're experiencing on their cancer journey. And um, we'll just see if it's a good fit. If it's not a good fit, that's okay. How long has it been since your cancer has been officially in remission? Yeah, I would say at the five-year mark, um, yeah. they pretty much say, they don't say cured. Well, mm. my doctor doesn't. They say NED, no evidence of disease. And so that I'm 11 years out. So that was, uh, it's been six years when pretty much say NED. Good for you. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate it. Nah, not a problem. Not a problem. I mean, that, that's a, like I said, I mean, never had cancer and I've never personally known anyone who has cancer and like I've had the contact that I've had with cancer patients has been pretty limited. You can kind of imagine everything that they're going through, but you can't really know it very well mm -hmm. uh, unless you've actually sat down and talked to them or you've been through it them yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to go through it themselves. That's right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you shouldn't definitely shouldn't go through it yourself and you definitely shouldn't go through it alone if you have to go through it. And I'm happy to hear that you don't know anyone you haven't experienced it because there's not a lot of people that can say that now yeah and just to again to say you know medical science modern medical science has been pretty incredible because there was a time that you got a cancer diagnosis that was it yeah. i mean that that was your fate so the fact that you can actually if it's detected early enough that's right <laughs> it can be fought back um but Early detection is key, one, and early action on top of that is another thing. So I've you know I've heard cancer described as the medical science equivalent of demon possession. Uh, uh -huh. I think that is a great description. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're right. I agree with that, and you know you touched on and and I talk about this too, and I'm so glad you brought it up that it was considered a death sentence in the past. And I can tell you that a lot of people still have that mindset in a sense. And it's natural to think, oh my God, I just got this news, I'm gonna die. And so that's another thing that I try to work on with, with my clients is the mindset piece. I encourage people don't immediately, if you can, focus on the dying piece, focus on how you can live, focus on how you can get through this and focus on the life that you want once you do get through it and get on the other side of it. Absolutely. So just out of curiosity, so I know a lot of things have changed since the diagnosis, lots of things, almost everything. Um, and I'm sure you yourself as a person have changed a lot. How could you not? 
Um, so aside from the change of career and, you know, has anything about you, like intrinsically about you have, have changed? Have you looked at things a little differently? Because you hear these stories from people who say, you know, they led their, they lived their life in a certain way. You know, they were angry all the time. They never forgave, you know, they held grudges. But once they got this cancer diagnosis, cancer diagnosis, they, it forced them to reconsider how to really uh, pivot on how they live their life. And I don't know what you were before that. I, I know you were career driven because you told us that, mm-hmm. um, but you, you, you come to really appreciate just how transient life really is. And that, you know, you live like, you live in like, this just doesn't make any sense. Just given the scope of the lifetime that you're actually are given. Some things, Sean, that changed about me was, number one, um, Mm self-worth, putting myself first, not taking no for an answer. But then when it it comes to my health, especially, but then also being able to say no, not trying to do everything and be everything for everyone. And that doesn't make me a bad person when I say no. Um, That was one of the things that I struggled with was telling people no. Now, if it doesn't feel right, I can't do it. You know, I'm just going to say no. And I don't feel like I need to give a story behind it. It's just, you know, you know, and before I couldn't do that, I felt like I would be viewed as a bad person if I did. So that um, focusing more on what makes me happy, not what, what I should be doing according to society, because, you know, I was coming up at a time where it was like, you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a career, that's the right path. Well, look where I ended up. I mean, my career and my uh, degree in science and math, it came in handy, but um, I'm focused more on holistic and natural things now. Mm -hmm. And so... um, even though I got that degree, again, doing well, making that money in corporate America, it was not making me happy. I did not feel fulfilled. And so it, I, I shifted my focus from more of what I should be doing according to standards. That, um, and also that, that um, what is the word I'm looking for? That financial piece or materialistic piece, mm. I'm less focused on that now. It's like, I just want to really serve my purpose and help people. Part of that was finding my purpose. I knew that I was a helper. I just didn't know how. And so that whole experience led me to my purpose. I'm more patient with myself now than I was before. Um, I'm more patient with other people. Um, So those are the key things that I really changed within myself. And letting go of things that don't serve me whether that's people or whatever you know realizing that and saying hey that's not a bad thing that's just that has run its course there you go okay well uh, um uh, talaya as we are starting to wind down here um i like to offer people because kind of like a closing tradition here because we speak about a lot of things, we go over lots of things, lots of uh, different discussions happen. So I like to have you kind of summarize what you just, a lot of what you just told us and just kind of like maybe one, one or two sentences or one paragraph and just like, well, if people could not remember hardly anything you said from beginning to end, if there's one thing you want them to walk away with, what would it be? Yes, that would be a cancer diagnosis does not mean that it's the end. It may be a time to reevaluate what you can change in your life so that you get the health and happiness that you deserve. There you go. So treat it more as a beginning rather than ending. That's right. That's right. You don't know what's on the other side of cancer, but you can plan for the best if you just, you know, focus on living. Right, right. And, you know, that's incredibly tough, obviously, because that's all you think about when you get this diagnosis, is you just think about the end of it. But if you can, and actually, I think your state of your mental health is probably going to do, it's going to do wonders for you. Um, 
I don't have any numbers on this, but I think I feel like the people who have the most positive mindset through thick and thin, as much as they can, probably do better than to just kind of resign themselves. Yeah, and to piggyback on that, Sean, it's not only just having that positive mindset because realistically, it's it helps tremendously. Let me just start there. But realistically, when you are facing cancer, it's, it's not something that you can have 24 seven. So I always encourage people, hey, feel the feeling. If you feel angry in one moment, feel that. Don't get stuck there. If you feel depressed, feel that. Don't get stuck there. Feel those feelings. Work through that. Journal if you need to, but just don't get stuck there. And those feelings are valid also. Gotcha. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. All right. Well, Talia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for bearing with me all the the, uh, technical difficulties we had. Speaking of uh, keeping staying positive and fighting through it. (laughs) <laughs> I think we did that on, we on did a, it. Yeah, we did it here on, on a on a much smaller scale. We did that here today. <laughs> All right. But um uh yeah, thank you. And uh everyone listening here, um, I will of course, you know me, I'll put all her contact information in the show notes. I'll put the website, I'll put the social media contacts. You can get a hold of uh Talea uh anytime you'd like. Um, as you can tell from this, she's very easy to get along with, very easy to speak to. And uh, of course, from me as well, you can reach out to me. Uh, my information will be there through uh, email, through um, the online courses I have offered. Don't forget about those. Those are meant to help with common deficits and neuromuscular functioning, strength, grip-wise, coordination, all that stuff that really comes in handy the older you get, trust me. And <laughs> you'll need it more than ever. And um, of course, everyone listening, if you could, if you got value out of this show or you got value out of this episode, please consider leaving a um, review on Apple Podcasts. It does help more do you know. It really helps increase the visibility of the show so I can talk to more people like Talia so you can get the information that you just got here today. Um, and it just, you know, I really appreciate it and it would help me out so much. So um, again, thank you so much, Talia. Thank you, Sean, for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you to everyone who's listening and move forever. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.